Good morning. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. And do not forget how kind he is. What a great way to start our service this morning as you join us here or if you join online. This psalm reminds us of the unchanging character of God and how God cares for us and has given us and gives us so much more each and every day. Let's open with our collect for today. Blessed are you, O Lord, and blessed are those who observe and keep your law. Help us to seek you with our whole heart, to delight in your commandments, and to walk in your glorious liberty, given us by your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, this morning's reading is from the St. Paul, Paul's letter to the Romans. It's Romans chapter 8, beginning to read at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, <coughs> not also along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, 
neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We were away for a week there um, on holiday. We had a chance to go away to France uh, with the family with my in-laws. Is that a holiday? Yeah, it's a holiday. It's fine. Um, we had a, week, a lovely week away on holiday with my wonderful in-laws. And uh, it, it, was, it was nice to be away. And what made it even nicer is for the kids, it was the first time they'd really been swimming in the swimming pool. So we got a good chance to have them with their rings and their armbands splash around in the water. Made wonderful memories. It was lovely to be away. Um, pale ginger child in the sun, 35 degrees. Not so great at times, but lots of sun cream was applied. Factor 50 was just about enough, about eight times a day. Um, it, was nice, it was nice to be away and have that time with family. Then you come back from holiday. Sometimes it feels you come back with a bang. Isn't it? You come back and suddenly work lands and responsibilities reach and all the things you've put off because you're going on holiday are still there for you. The ironing pile's a whole lot bigger because you've got the ironing before you went on holiday plus the stuff from holiday. That's my job tonight, isn't it, Sarah? Yeah. Um, and there's lots of washing to do. Plus, in the next three weeks, I have to finish my job and then we have to move house. And there's lots of pieces of the puzzle that have to come together. So there's lots going on. I feel like it's back with a bang. One of the things, I've had a, a wonderful time here over the past year. And one of the things I was really clear with James was that I would cover his annual leave in the summer. Don't worry about getting cover. I'll look after things for however many weeks you're away. He said, great, thank you. And then the neighboring parish came to James and said, oh, I'm off in these weeks. Can you cover me? And went, James went, that's fine. Gareth will do it. Um, he did check with me beforehand. Um, it's not so bad. So things got quite busy in the week back after our holiday. And then work got busy. And an issue came up. And it was one of these issues that came up that I didn't really know what to do or what to say. And in those moments, there's no response other than to turn to God and to pray. I genuinely don't know how non-Christians make it through some of those really stressful days in work. Because there's days where I don't have the words of my own. But I know that when I pray and when I come to God, that he brings me the words and gives me the words that I need to say. And that's where our passage begins today. Uh, we're on page 1135 of the Bibles in your rows, if you'd like to follow along. Uh, and we'll begin at, at, our reading this morning was from chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. When we come to pray, sometimes we come before Christ thinking we need to have the right words. We need to have the right expressions, the right way to phrase our sentences, the right way to, to, to bring our plea to God that allows him to hear us and answer us. But this expression of prayer, the beginning of this passage, reminds us 
that it's not our words that Christ calls for, but our hearts. That when we come to him with requests, that he's not looking the most eloquent, the eloquent prayer, thank goodness, as I stumble upon my words. It's not the most eloquent voice or the best spoken or those with the greatest vocabulary, but rather those who come with a heart that is known by the Lord. Because when we pray, it is not us that talks to God necessarily, but it is the Spirit that intercedes for us, the Spirit that brings our prayers to Christ, that gives us the words when we can't even express them with our mouths, that gives us the words when our hearts long for those answers. It's expressed like this. It's the, when we come to pray, it is the divine within us appealing to the divine above. It is the Holy Spirit within us giving us the words to speak to those who are above us. For when we pray, we pray like children. We think we have the answers, we think we have the words, but really we do not always know what it is we ask for or why it is we ask for these things. If it was up to Patrick, he would have spent 10 hours a day in the swimming, swimming pool on our holidays. Isn't that right? Is that all you wanted to do? You did stay in all day. Six hours was his record in the swimming pool. And if it was up to Patrick, he would have not have got out at any point, not for lunch, not for uh, going to the toilet. We made him get out for that. And certainly not for sun cream breaks. Because a sun cream break meant that he had to dry off, put the sun cream on, wait for it to settle in, and then get back in the swimming pool again. If it was up to him, his request would have been, let me be in this water all day because this brings me joy and this is what I want. Yet as his parents, we knew that we had to get him out to put sun cream on him, to make sure he was safe, and then we put him back into that environment of joy again. Sometimes we don't always know what is best for ourselves because when we pray, we pray as children. Yet it is Christ, it is the Holy Spirit, it is God above the Father that intercedes for us and knows what is right for us. We don't know what is right. We don't know what, what uh, pain can be brought. Uh, we don't know what pain we are going through that will give us strength for later or even what Christ is saving us from. <clears throat> At the time of uh, early philosophers and the likes, um, you'll all be aware, of course, of Pythagoras. Pythagoras was a great philosopher of the day, uh, famous for his mathematical ability, Pythagoras' theorem. Can anyone give me Pythagoras' theorem? Oh, well done. There's the mathematicians. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Something to do with triangles, some of you are saying. Let's you work out the, the hypotenuse. What a great word, the hypotenuse of a triangle. But Pythagoras was more than a mathematician. He was a philosopher of the day. He had many followers and taught them uh, all about philosophy and thinking and theology. And if you were a follower of Pythagoras, you were not allowed to ever pray for yourself. When you prayed, you prayed for someone else. And if you wanted prayer, you asked someone to pray for you. For it was Pythagoras' understanding that our own hearts were so wicked that it was tainted and we, didn't, we, we never knew what was best for ourselves. Therefore, if you wanted prayer, it was up to another person to pray for you. Similarly, similarly uh, 
Socrates said never to pray for specifics. The only thing you were allowed to pray for was to pray for good things. It was for the spirit and for God to decide what those good things would be. However, to pray for specifics uh, was to go against the will and desire of the Holy Spirit. For all that we do should recognize that we are children and that as we are children, we do not always know what is best. We do not always know what is right for ourselves. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 goes on a little bit more. Perhaps some of the the best well-known passages in the Bible, yet maybe not the best understood passages. For it talks about how in God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Sometimes we get into this passage and we get into a conversation of predestination. Who is right for what? How many spaces in heaven there might be for people? Or whether or not we can really have an impact over the will and power of God. Sometimes we get caught in conversations of predestination in trying to understand what God's will for mankind really is. Yet this passage before us, before we even get into into it, reminds us that we are children. We are children who require the Spirit of the Lord to intercede for us. Yet for me, this is not a theological or even a philosophical uh, uh, expression. Rather, this is Paul with a wonderful lyrical expression of our Christian experience. It's a lyrical expression. It's a literary tool that he has used to express what it is for all of us to experience the Christian life. When we think about uh, one of the best known poems of all time, uh, perhaps I think is, or poems or stories perhaps, is the footsteps in the, stand, in the sand where a person looks back to reflect upon their life and they see footsteps. Sometimes there's two sets of footsteps representing their walk with Christ and sometimes there's a single set of footsteps. And he turns to Christ beside him and says, why, have you, why did you forsake me in times of, of trouble? Why was it that I was by myself in these times? Yet Christ reminds him that in these times he was carried that he was comforted and supported. Not that he was abandoned, but the opposite. That is when he was held closest. This too is an expression of our journey in Christ for all of us. That we are, as we journey with Christ, called. As we are called, we are justified by Christ. And as we are justified, we are glorified. That all of us in our journey as children are called, we are justified, and we are glorified in our walk with Christ. If we take this as a, a literal interpretation of the Bible, if we take this as a literal reading, suddenly we begin to restrict the Bible. We restrict it as being for certain people, being for some and not others, and nowhere else in Scripture do we come across readings such as this. 
for my understanding of Scripture at all times, is that it points to a sharing with many people, with all people, that none are restricted to Christ. This is an expression of looking over our prayer life, of seeing the yeses, of seeing the noes, and seeing the control of God. Imagine the footsteps in the stand poem, yet think back over it as times in which we pray. Sometimes we get yeses and sometimes we get noes, but it is always for God's glory. For he predestines what is right and what is wrong. As he says yes and he says no, we are justified. As he says yes and as he says no, we are glorified. As he says yes and he says no to our desires, we bring glory to him at all times. Throughout scripture, we see times in which God tells that he accepts and affirms and acknowledges everyone, uh, that as one body of believers, that scripture is for everyone. In verse 28, he says that uh, uh, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This promise of being glorified is for everyone who has been called to his purpose. But who is it that has been called to his purpose? Well, let's go back in scripture to Hosea uh, chapter 13. When he talks to Israel, he tells them, I have known you in the wilderness. I have known you at the times when you didn't follow me. When you followed me or when you didn't, I knew you in this time. Scripture is for those who know God now and who in their times of wilderness still do not know him. All of those people are called to be glorified. Equally, Amos 3 uh, talks about how I have known all of the families of the earth, a plan for all, that Christ calls all people, that surely there is no way that we can talk about heaven being predestined for certain people and not others. Our scripture message this morning comes for all people, for all people who are children and followers and believers in Christ. Yet in what we do, we know that our words have the power to have an impact over Christ. Our words have an impact to change him and to change his desires. Abraham pleads for the city of Sodom in which uh, Christ instructs him that it will be destroyed. Yet Abraham decides to plead. He pleads that if I find 50 people, will you not spare it? And God changes his mind and says, yes. If there are 50 righteous people in Genesis 18, uh, verse 24, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And he reduces again down to 45. And he reduces again down to 40. This passage may seem insignificant to what I'm talking about, but it reminds us that our prayers and our words have the power to impact Christ, to impact God. That as we pray, we know that our words can change his mind. That as the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, that our righteousness and our glory through the Holy Spirit has a power that even as children has a power to change Christ. 
has a power to change people and has a power to bring glory to all. For nothing can separate us from Christ. This, story, this passage goes on and reminds us that nothing can divide us from Christ. Uh, in verse 31, Paul says this, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Paul uses the words, uh, or uses the story of Abraham early on when Abraham takes his son, uh, the, his, his only son, to be sacrificed. He uses this imagery of the Old Testament to show that God's message is for all. It is a message which brings us all to him, that nothing divides us, for he did not, he went that step further and gave his only son for us. Let me read this again for us. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Christ intercedes for us. He sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Just before this, we have stood together and we've said our creed. We've said our belief of the church. In confirmation, we bring our young people together and we say to them, what is it that we believe as a church? What is it that the Church of Ireland believes? What is it that Derevolgi, St. Columbus, what is it that we believe? And we stand together to affirm our faith when we say the creeds together. We say the creed and we say exactly what it is that we believe in Jesus, that uh, he was conceived, he suffered, he was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. In this passage, we get the same four things happening. Well, we get three of the same things happening, and the fourth is slightly different. He dies, he descends to the dead, he rises, he rises again, is seated at the right hand of the Father and comes to intercede for us. And there's a big difference in that understanding. Let's say one of you comes and uh, complains. Or no, let's say Frank comes and complains about me. He goes to James next week and says, James, Gareth stood up and spoke heresy from the front. It was an absolute disgrace. He should be removed. Uh, we don't want him anymore. Uh, tell him to find someone else to cover for the next two weeks. And James says, right, that's okay. What we need is a judge from the congregation to come and settle this argument between the two of you. And the judge that he picks is Sarah. 
it, it, it doesn't necessarily feel like Frank's going to win that argument, does it? Because they're interceding for me. The judge and person who's making the decision for me, I have an invested interest there. There's a definite, uh, it's not going to stand up in court necessarily, but that is what a society is going to be happening. And yet this is the understanding we gain from this passage. That as we stand and, and, and say our creed this morning, we talk about Jesus Christ who is going to come and judge the living and the dead. Yet Romans 8 reminds us that he is the one who intercedes for us on our behalf, who intercedes for us, who intercedes knowing us in a love far beyond the love of husband and wife, far beyond any love that we can even understand, is the love that Christ has for us. And in that, nothing can separate us. Paul makes a list of the people, the, the Romans' worst nightmares, the worst things they can possibly imagine happening to their civilization is the things which Paul lists to them. What can separate us? In verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? They list the things outside of the control of the Roman emperor, the Roman governor, those in charge. Not famine, not someone overthrowing the kingdom, not sword, not anything else will separate us from the love of Christ. For nothing can separate us. That sometimes we come thinking we need the right words, yet we don't need the right words. We don't need the correct words for the Spirit intercedes for us. We don't need to be specifically selected. We don't need to be predestined, for we are all selected and we are all called. And we don't think that there's anything that can separate us. There is nothing that we can put up in the way that can separate Christ's love for us. We do not need the right words. We do not need to be specially picked. We do not need to come up with a reason for us to be separated for Christ because we are all called to be with Christ. We are all called to be with him. So if you sit this morning thinking of a barrier, thinking of a reason that you cannot be with Christ, thinking that there's something in your life holding you back from being with him, set that aside this morning. I am here to help. I am here for you. If you'd like to call me today or at any point this week, please do so. When James returns, you may speak to him or the people around you this morning who come here to support you and love you as a family. We gather together knowing that nothing can separate us. If you do feel you're separated this morning, please know in Christ's name that we are all one body called by him, for him, forevermore. Amen. So we'll finish with a prayer. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our needs before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weakness and give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not and in our blindness we cannot ask. 
for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.